1: Hello, this is Sue Jackson on 101.9 IFM on the Finding Human Program. My guest today is Cecil Bass in Australia. A bit of an echo, Cecil, but we'll go. Our topic is never give up. Cecil has faced many challenges in his life and his motto is never give up. So we have called our program Never Give Up. Uh, Welcome Cecil. I first want to thank your friend Hilton Rosenthal for actually introducing me to you. And thank you Craig and Wussy for keeping us on air. So it was Hilton who introduced us Cecil.
2: Yes, that's right. Hilton and I are very good friends. We only met in Australia. We both arrived in Sydney about the same time, about 23 years ago. And yeah, we became friends. Um, I'm, I'm distantly related to his wife, Linda, and uh, we became friends and have remained firm friends ever since. Yeah,
1: it was a it was a good a good meeting in Australia. I That's- must just add here that many of you will know Cecil. He was very involved here in the political realm with the D- DA, and he'll tell us a bit about more about that. And I must admit that. Australia has gained from by having you and we have lost. But you said something. I met you yesterday and we had a chat and you, you said that um, there's a the soul of Africa. Tell me about what that soul of Africa
2: actually means to you. Well I think I think South well South Africa in particular just has an incredible feeling about it, an incredible um, energy about it. Um, I, I get to go back to South Africa often, um, and I have done for all the years I've lived in Australia, um, and it just has a beautiful soul, it has a beautiful, the people of South Africa are quite incredible, quite wonderful, they've got a warmth and a humanity that I think is is very special and quite unique. Do
1: you think that is the Ubuntu that they talk about, or yes.
2: we talk about? Absolutely, I think it is very much the Ubuntu that um, um, is is part of the, of the culture of South Africa, and I think it's 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 a wonderful thing. Um, it it um, it helps people get through the grind of daily life um, in a dignified and 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 meaningful way, um, and I think it 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 stands to the credit of all South Africans that they do have that that warmth and that. Specialness and
1: resilience. of
2: resilience, and re- and resilience. Absolutely, yes. um, South Africans are very resilient. They're very self-reliant. They have to be. Um, and um, yeah, so I, I I still have a ve- I, I still consider myself to be a South African, although I've lived away from South Africa for more than 20 years, I still feel very South African um, in in many aspects of my life, and uh, I'm very proud to to be a South African.
1: You know, that's interesting. A long time ago, in the heart of apartheid, I had to represent South Africa at a nursing conference in Montreal. And, um, and we had a sign up above us, and of course the representatives were all white, the, the few of us who were representing. And we had a sign above us in the hall saying South Africa, and the next minute we were surrounded by all South Africans from, of all races, color, I mean, and ages who, who had gone, left South Africa, South Africa because of apartheid. And they were nursing in, and they couldn't wait to meet us fellow South Africans to find out what, how South African was. I've never been hugged quite so much in my life. It was the most wonderful feeling of connection. So when you say that, that you are still connected, I can understand that because a lot of them had left when they were young children with their parents, a lot of black South Africans.
2: Yeah. yeah. So, so you know, I can sit down with someone like you who I'm meeting today for the second time um, and connect very comfortably and very easily with you. And that is unique, I think, to us uh, as South Africans. Um, and uh, i think it's a very special thing um and uh, we just we understand each other south africans get mostly get each other and and um, have a have a genuine affection for each other
1: i agree with you uh, you know i didn't actually mention what you're doing in uh, in australia but you're actually the owner and managing director of australia's oldest immigration business hitchcock and
2: associates
1: how did you it- get involved with that
2: um, well, when I got here, I, I was working on a job for, for a South African company, and part of my work took me to meet the owner the then owner of this business, a man by the name of Neil Hitchcock, um, and I went and gave him my spiel. He had a lot of South African clients, and I gave him my spiel about what I was doing, and he said, "Look, I'm not interested in, in what, you, what you're peddling." He said, "But you seem like an interesting kind of guy. Would you have lunch with me tomorrow?" So of course, uh, the opportunity, as Fish as a new immigrant, to have lunch with the great Neil Hitchcock was was a wonderful opportunity. And over the course of that lunch, he said, "I've been looking for someone to join me in my business, and I think you fit the profile very well. You're South African, you're a chartered accountant, you've got a, a you're well known, you seem to be well regarded. Um, would I be interested in joining him?" And of course, uh, it was the opportunity of a lifetime, and I joined. Um, in May this year, will be 21 years that I've been in this business. And Neil is now retired, and um, we remain very friendly. He was a wonderful mentor and trainer, trainer to me. And yeah, that's what I do.
1: That's that's fantastic, and that's why you come back here quite often, then.
2: Yes, that's right. I come back to meet with clients and uh, with with our staff there, and to yeah, and to 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 do what I do.
1: Um, Cecil, you know, you said you never give up And uh, Thomas Edison says Our greatest weakness lies in giving up the, the most certain way to succeed Is always to try just one more time Does that ring true for
2: you? Absolutely I didn't know that it was Edison who actually said that But it's, I, I think it's right um, You know, as long as you're in the ring You've got a chance of landing the knockout blow. But the day you throw in the towel and get out the ring, the fight is over. Um so when I say never give up, I mean, you know, in in the sense of of what you want to get out of life or when you face certain challenges in life, just keep going. Um and mostly um you'll it'll work out in, in the end. It doesn't always work out, obviously, but I found through my life's experiences that um to just keep going and to persevere and to 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 just keep on. Um, it's, I, I think you know, in life, it's not how you how you start; it's how you finish.
1: I have to agree with you, and you have been challenged in your life with near death uh, situations, Um, two near death situations. Just tell me a bit about those. We'll go back once we're going to be breaking for ads soon, but we will we will start on that anyway now.
2: Okay, so so in 1987, um, I I got a a very uh, an illness called encephalitis, uh, which is a, a, a viral infection of the brain. I think. It's definitely an infection of the brain. And I was very, very sick. I was. Okay. We're going to
1: get back to that. And you, I've been very sick. I'm sorry. I'm just going now. Thank you, Craig.
0: Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Only on 101.9 High FM.
1: Hello, this is Sue Jackson. And with February considered the month of love, you're going to love the fact that our insurance is all about saving you money. In fact, they love it so much, you can ask them to give you 500 grand cash if they can beat your current car insurance premium. Claim free and at the same insurer for three years, Tell them to make it 1,500 rand. SMS out to 40251 for a quote. Whether it's savings or cash, you'll love the feeling of extra cash in your pocket. SMS out to 40251. Our insurance is a licensed insurer, and FSP T and Cs apply. Right. Thank you, Craig. This is Sue Jackson, and I'm back with Cecil Bass, and our topic is Never Give Up. And Cecil was about to tell me about a time when he faced his own uh, situation of definitely not giving up, and he was facing his own death at the time. Tell me about the encephalitis that hit you.
2: Well, I, I just became very sick very quickly, um, and I found myself in the Sanford Clinic Um in the care of a neurologist and I, I was very sick for about two weeks, including almost dying, um, once. Um, and yeah, um, you know, I got over it eventually and uh, I made a full recovery and, um, uh, a couple of years later, I had another very bad experience or the encephalitis. Was. Um, I had an accident on the Vol river, um, at the end of, uh, 1989. Um it was a terrible accident. I suffered catastrophic injuries. Um and I was in hospital for a long time. Um I had many surg- surgeries, many operations. Um and I eventually came through that as well, but it was pretty catastrophic at the time. Um but what I learned a lot from
1: what, what did helped.
2: you, okay. What did you learn?
1: Okay.
2: I learned a lot lessons. I, le- I learned well, maybe the first time round, maybe I didn't Take enough out of it, and maybe I needed the second lesson to really learn my lessons, if you like, but um I learned what I think is really important in life, um, and that's you know there you get you get involved in life in a lot of things, you prioritize certain things, but what I learned from that most of all is that family is is really the most important thing in your life if you 've got family who support you and love you and help you through those. Dramatic moments in your life and are there through those times and the good times. Um, it, it, it's really what life is all about. Um, and I was very fortunate. My wife was incredible. She, she, you know, she, she fought the hard fight because I wasn't really able to do it a lot of the time. She was the one that worked with the doctors, worked with the nurses, worked with all the, you know, with all the, the finances of the home and everything that I would be involved in with her. She, she just had to handle on her, on her own. And she was absolutely incredible. Um, and then, you know, extended family, um, also help and support and, 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 um, you know, get involved as, as much as they can. Um, and I think I came out of that eventually, um, a much stronger and much more clear-minded person um, than I did was it prior.
1: Give you, did it give you humility?
2: Yes, definitely. Um, I, I, first of all, I, definitely. When when you find yourself in a situation like that and you're in a hospital on all kinds of machines and things, your dignity is completely taken away from you. Any sense of dignity that you have um, is, is lost um, and thankfully when you leave the hospital you start to pick it up again and eventually you get it back. But you do get a lot of humility from that um, and also um, an, an awareness of of pain and 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 but also um, an appreciation of of the important things in life and so it's it's a, it's as as difficult as it is at the time it is a very significant learning experience um and if you know i was i was lucky um i, I came out the other side um, and um, but i think i i gained a lot of understanding of life and, and valuing the, the important things, which are basically the simple things.
1: And, you know, it, uh, the, um, Eleanor Roosevelt actually said about courage and, and hearing your story about, you know, how you actually fought back to life on both those occasions. She says courage is not having the strength to go on. It is coming going on when you don't have the strength. And that is true because you did go on. And I I would like you to actually tell my listeners how you went on because I found that fascinating that one of of the, the, the things that gave you purpose in your life was something that most people would have run from. (laughs) <laughs> so, you know, but let's just go back a step When you first got involved in politics here yeah. You were, I think, 28, weren't you?
2: Yeah, 28 or 29, yeah
1: And and tell me a bit about that
2: So I'd always been interested in politics I had a very strong sense that apartheid was wrong um, And that it wasn't enough to just go and vote for Helen Sisman every five years And, and you know, sort of say, so, OK, well, I've done my dash, and uh, in five years' time, I'll go and vote for Helen again. I, I felt that I had to do more, and I got involved. I can't remember the year, but it must have been the late 70s. There was a general election. John Foster was the prime minister, and I was at that stage of my life living in an observatory. And there was a Jewish candidate standing for the National Party, and there was a very well-known personality by the name of Yapi Basson standing for the Progressive Federal Party. So a friend and I went into the Progressive Federal Party's offices and said, we want to help you guys. And, um, I met a man on that day a man name of Douglas Gibson, who was, uh, running for the provincial, um, seat, the same seat. And he said, come on, here's a bunch of cards, go knocking on doors, go, uh, you know, get going. And, and that's what I did. And um, how were you received? Oh gosh, um, it was interesting. Um, it was a very close-run thing in the end. I think Yopi Besson won that election by 50 votes, so, uh, it was, wow. yeah, <laughs> so you know, out of probably 60 or 70,000 votes, Gee. it was a very, And it took days and days and days for the final result to be declared. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed it. it uh, you know, um, I enjoyed the interaction with people, talking to people, engaging with people, um, mm-hmm. hearing what was important to them. Um, got chased by a few dogs down some big driveways in Observatory, <laughs> um, But it, it it was interesting. Um, and that was it. You know, I, I wasn't that active in, in politics after that. And then in, in, in 1981, I think, I got a call from Dougie Gibson. And he said to me, um, there's going to be a municipal election in, in early 1982. Would I stand for the PFP in, in Bez Valley? Um, he said, you've got no chance of winning. He said, but by putting up a reasonable campaign, you'll distract some of the National Party's resources and it might help some candidates in adjoining areas um, to, to, to win in a close run thing. And the, the PFP were hoping to gain power in Johannesburg in, in that election. So I did and uh, we worked very hard. My wife and my family and I, we all worked very hard. We actually did very well, but of course, Dougie was right and I lost. Um, and I said okay, but it worked because some of the a guy named Don Walton in the adjoining seat in Kensington actually won um, unexpectedly, and um, so it was it was a, a thing that I did. And I thought okay, now I've really done my dash. A few months later, I got a call from Dougie. He said, "Have you seen the Rand Mail this morning?" I said no. He said, "Well, there's going to be a vacancy in Hillbrow. The city council for Hillbrow has had to resign." He said, "And if you are serious about." Actually getting elected, he said, this is your chance. He said, uh, he said, I think, you know, you, you've proven yourself. you worked really hard. Um, and if you're interested, um, now's the time. Put up your hand. And that's exactly what I did. Um, it turned out there was no by-election. I was elected unopposed and three or four, four weeks later, I think it was, must have been about July of 1982. I was the city councillor for Hilbrow at the ripe old age of 28.
1: Wow. Um, yeah. Now you, mentioned yesterday when we were talking the imposter syndrome. What yeah.
2: did that mean to you? <laughs> well, I felt like a complete imposter. I mean, there were, first of all, I was the youngest person there by many, many, many. There were some younger people. I'm trying to think Ian Davidson, although well, he's a bit older than me, but I was the youngest councillor by by, me, by quite a few years. But there were giants of Johannesburg who'd been on the council, been mayors of Johannesburg, Izzy Schlapper-Bursky, Monty Sklar, Max Neppi, um, <laughs> Harold Rudolph, uh, um, Elliot Kretzmer, Francois Oberholzer. And here I was, uh, you know, this new guy who just found himself in this situation. And it took me a while to actually get my head around the fact that I was worthy of being there and um, shouldn't be intimidated by, by people who maybe had seen and done a lot more. And yeah, but it took a while. The imposter syndrome was very real for a while. I can imagine that, quite honestly.
1: And then when you had your, your severe uh, accident, first of all, you were brought up in Yeovil, weren't you?
2: Yes, I grew up well, most of my What was uh,
1: like in those days, being brought up there?
2: Well, it was very cosmopolitan. Um, it was a very um, diverse, although all white, but a very diverse uh, community. A lot of Jewish people, obviously. There were a lot of uh, Italians, a lot of Portuguese immigrants, a lot of Greek people, um, and, you know, just the whole spectrum of, of, of South Africa. Um and, uh, I went to Yoga Boys Primary School, um, from grade one to standard five, um, got a very good education. And, um, yeah, it was a, it was an interesting and fun place to grow up. Um, it was a bit avant-garde. It was a bit edgy, you know, it was all those things and it was, different. But it, was it was different. It was certainly not suburbia, but it, it was a, it was a wonderful place to grow up. And I still have one or two friends from my Yovel Boys. School
1: days. Oh, do you? Yeah. yeah. I actually lived in Hilborough for quite a long time and it was also very cosmopolitan. It was fantastic. And then your high school, you, you went to Yeshiva College, is that right?
2: That's right.
1: Yes. And there you met Rabbi Tanza. Yes. Who I know you are very, you were very fond of him and certainly made a huge impact on my life. Tell me a bit about Rabbi Tanza and your relationship.
2: Well, Rabbi Tanza was the Rosh Hashiva. Um, I did went there from Form 1 to matric. Were um, you a good student? Uh, in my secular, yeah, most of the time. I wasn't always a good student. I wasn't always a, the best boy in the school either. Um, okay. a, lot, a lot of the boys in the, in, the, in the school were from, obviously, sons of rabbis and Chazonim and from very, very from families I was not from a from family I was from a traditional family but not a from family so I was a little bit on the perimeter of of the mainstream if you like of the school but Rabbi Tenser was very um kind to me he was very he persevered at times where I think I was probably causing him quite a lot of disappointment um but he he always persevered he was always kind he was always Generous and he was always optimistic and he always, um, you know, said, you can do this, you can do this, keep, you know, persevere, then, never give up.
1: And then there was a time when you proved to him that you could do it. Tell yes. me about that.
2: Well, it was many, many years later. I, I finished my trick there, um, and I, I lost touch with him at the time and then, when Alan Gadd became the mayor of Johannesburg, um, there was always this very impressive banquet on, on the night that the new mayor got inducted. And um, during the dinner, I said to my wife, I want to introduce you. The, each mayor, mayor had, a, had a chaplain. And Alan Hi. Gadd's chaplain was, was Rabbi Tanzer. <laughs> so I took my wife along to the main table and I said, hello Rabbi, how are you? He said, oh, wonderful to see you. He said, I, I, He said, what are you doing here? I said, well, I was invited said, how come you're invited? I said, well, I'm involved with the council. He said, what, well, do you work here? I said, well, kind of, you know, sort of you could work. He said, stop fooling around. What do you do here? I said, I'm a city councillor. He said, an elected city councillor. I said, there's only one kind, Rabbi. I'm an <laughs> elected city councillor. He turned to his wife and he said, Masha, I told you this boy would amount to something one day. Um, and he, I think he got a bit of nachas from that particular moment few years later, well, in 1990, I was elected to the management committee of the city, which is really the center of power for, this, for the city. And a year later, maybe, or two years, I can't remember, I got a call from Rabbi Tanza and he said, and I had been to his shul quite often. I used to take people who were standing in the elections to his shul on Shabbos to, you know, have a bit of a, a profile in the community. But he called me, he said, come and I need to see you about something important. So I went to his office, and he said to me, we are trying to build an a-roof in Glen Hazel. He said it will be the first a-roof, I think, in South Africa, if I was not mistaken. He said, and, this, you know, we didn't want to go the political route. We just put in the application, but the planning officials of the council are giving us a bit of a hard time. Can you help? So I said, "Sure, um you know, give me the details um and and um he asked me if I knew what an Arab was. I said, Rabbi, I was at yeshiva for five years. I know what an Arab is. <laughs> anyway, I went back to my office um, and i I called the town clerk a man, man by the who's the chief bureaucrat of the city, Graham Collins. I asked him to come and meet me in my office. He came a few days later. I told him what it was about and he said to me, counselor, he said, I'm very worried that the Jews are trying to build the walls of Jericho around Glen Hazel. Gosh. Uh, and I what said a to Yeah, yeah. He said, we just don't understand this thing. I said, it's very difficult to understand. I said, it is a, it is an abstract concept. It, it's not based in any, in, in any logic, if you like. It's it's a, it's, a, it's a, it's an article of faith, but it's very important to the Jewish people. Especially, well, particularly for, for, for Shabbat and Shabbat observance and, and making the, the whole Shabbat experience uh, a little bit more meaningful. Um, and I assure you, Graham, that it is innocuous. You won't even know it's there. It consists of existing street lamps, um, street poles and some cables across the street and you won't even know it's there. And he said, I trust you, Councillor. He said, I'm going to support this thing. I said, okay, but I want you to present it to the council in a particular way. I want you to go to the management committee and I want to end there. I don't want you to go to the full council where we're going to have a public debate. It's going to be in the newspapers, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, he did exactly that. It came to the management committee meeting. There were six people on the management committee. It took me about five minutes to talk to my colleagues about it and it was done. Mm-hmm. Um, I excused myself from the meeting. I went to back to my office, I called Rabbi Tanza. I said, Rabbi, the Erev has just been approved. And he said, well, that is why Hashem put you on the city council. He said, we now have an Erev for Glen Hazel. So that's that's a great how story. fantastic. Isn't
1: that yeah. a lovely story? I yeah. love that. Now, you know, just going back to your, your injury and also how you then, it was a major turning point, as you said, in your life, but also one of the things that gave you meaning was when you were approached, I mean, you couldn't walk even properly then, but you were actually approached um, to go on to the city council as a city councillor. Is that right?
2: No, no, I was already already a city councillor. This was now 1990. i had been a city councillor since 1982, so I've been there a long time. But the leader of our party was a, a man by the name of Ian Davidson, and he came to visit me in the hospital. And he, this was post-February 1990 when F.W. de Klerk um, unbanned the ANC and the other political parties that had been banned, and he released Nelson Mandela and all the other political prisoners. Um, and, and there was, was a time of incredible change, and, and things were really moving very quickly. And Davidson came, and he said, must have been about April of 1990. I was in the Santon Clinic and he said we are going to take over through a complicated process of deals with independent councillors and some renegade National Party councillors. We, the PFP or the DA, I can't even remember what we were in those days, he said we are going to get control of the city council. He said and we will get control of the management committee. There will be six city councillors on the management committee, three PFP two national party and one independent. I said, Muzzle that's wonderful. I'm happy for you. You've worked hard. He said, I want you to be one of the three PFP counsellors on the management committee.
1: Now, you I were said, flat on your
2: back in hospital. Flat on my back in the Santon Clinic. I said, look at me. I said, I don't know how you think I'm going to do this. I said, I have got a long road to travel still. He said, I don't care. He said, I will wait for you. I will help you. I will support you. Um, and that's exactly what happened. So it was an incredible incentive for me to get involved in an exciting new thing. He asked me to act work as the chairman of the Culture and Recreation Committee, which was responsible for all the sport, all the arts, all the museums, parks, art galleries, cemeteries um, in Johannesburg.
1: We actually are going to mention the cemeteries in a minute, so it's, we'll just end on that for now. Just going to that. Thank you, Craig.
0: High FM 101.9 MHz of life. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Only on 101.9 High FM.
1: They are there for us in the very worst of times. They step in to assist us when life has stopped. They are the cemetery workers, the men and women of the Hebrew Kadisha. Jewish Helping Hand and Burial Society. Over the last year, their service was more essential than ever. They are the unsung heroes and we want to change that. Zion Adar is the day on which the community traditionally acknowledges and appreciates the service of our cemetery workers. This year, you can help honor these heroes by sending them happiness in a box. Shabbat Meals and Gifts for Shabbat, 19th of February, the Shabbat of Zion Adar. Honor Our Heroes by sponsoring a box or part of a box. For details, please get to our website, www.chayfm.com. Honor Our Heroes is a Chay community initiative. Hello, this is Sue Jackson, and I'm back with Cecil Bass. And if any of you would like to send us a message, please do so on 34519 or telegram us on 061 895 1019 Hello Cecil, I'm back with you and we were talking about how you actually found an unbelievable meaning and purpose in getting out of bed but you actually weren't really out of bed, were you?
2: No, no, I was still very much in a in, uh Transition phase, I still had many surgeries to ahead of me, but it gave me this, this invitation to, to join the management committee gave me an incredible incentive to really get going and, and it, it was something exciting. It was beyond our imagination as, as a small opposition party to suddenly find ourselves in our, I don't know, how old would we have been? 1990, I don't think I was 37 or 38, and here I found myself at the centre of power of the biggest city. We were the only non-national party government, maybe with the exception of the Cape Town and, and, and Santon councils, but by far the biggest government run by non-national party people. And it was a wonderful incentive to get better. And, um, you know, I, I eventually got to, back to to the office Um, and I used to uh, go to management committee meetings in my wheelchair Um, and um, they would go the whole day so my my secretary would wheel me in at 9 o'clock in the morning and at half past 10 I'd have to ask for her to come and fetch me and she'd take me back to my office where there was a hospital bed and I would get out of the wheelchair onto the hospital bed rest for half an hour, 45 minutes and then I would get up Get back in the wheelchair and go back to management committee meetings. And that's how I did it until, but slowly I was getting better. Um, the, the, um, the challenge, the intellectual challenge and the excitement of all of it. And remember the ANC had just been unbanned and they were all coming to talk to us because they, we were the only people that they could more or less get some honest answers out of. And so we had a constant stream of the entire leadership of the ANC beating a pathway to our door to engage with us. So it was very That's exciting great. times. It must it have was been
1: exciting great. times. I see you met uh, uh, Nelson Mandela quite a few times. You were involved with the Tambo family. Um, and, you know, I also see that in that time, you were responsible for arts, sports, libraries, cemeteries, as you said, parks, and you completed this, uh, the civic theatre upgrade. And also you initiated the Newtown Cultural District. What I also found fascinating was that you initiated and built Museum Africa in Newtown, which has become very popular for uh, education. And also also the uh, athletic stadium adjacent to Ellis Park. And you initiated jazz on the lake at Zoo Lake. So, I mean, you really did a lot of unbelievable work. You met some incredible people, but we'll have to cover that at another time. You met Manfred Rommel, uh, okay. mayor of Stuttgart and, uh, son of great. Herman Rommel, the head of yeah. the Africa Corps.
2: That's correct. It was an yeah. incredible experience, actually. Um if you want, I'll tell you about it if you've got a few minutes.
1: Right, yes. It was, tell the
2: most, me about it. it was the most incredible experience. I, I, was I went to Stuttgart in my official capacity to the World Athletics Championship. As you can hear, my job was quite pleasant, you know, <laughs> going to the World Athletics Championships. Anyway, um, one and I had one of the senior officials from my department with me, and he came to me, he said, it's part of the normal diplomatic protocol, we're going to meet the mayor of Stuttgart tomorrow. I said, fine, you know, we did that sort of thing all the time, wherever you went in the world, if we're representing Johannesburg. And he, he said, the man's name is Manfred Rommel. And, you know, I sort of got this cold feeling go right across my body. Um, and he said, he said, Counselor, I can see that you are a, a bit surprised. He said, you've just got to put this Jewish thing aside. You're representing the city of Johannesburg now, and I really think it's important that you go. I said, okay, we go. The next morning, we got to the... The Rathaus, as it's known, which is the town hall of Stuttgart, and we went into this waiting room at Rommel's office, and there must there were a few people sitting there, and there was one, there was only one picture on the wall in this waiting room, which was the hugest picture you've ever seen. Of obviously this man Rommel shaking hands with another person, and who was that person? Blow me down with a feather. It was Menachem Begi.
1: Good heavens is
2: that so? The former prime minister of Israel. Why? Anyway, what
1: was the connection?
2: I'll tell you. I'll tell you. We, we I went into this meeting with Rommel and in these these diplomatic meetings are very carefully choreographed. You get 5 minutes, he gets 5 minutes. You tell him about Johannesburg, he tells you about Stuttgart. He then um you know, um, you have, but they were very interested in South Africa because it was the flavor of the month. This wasn't Absolutely. This was 1993. Um, So so at the end, you've sort of got some unchoreographed time. You've probably got about five minutes of where you can just... So I thought, I'm not going to lose this opportunity. So I said to him, I want to ask you a question, Mr. Rommel. Of all the photographs that you could put on your wall, why would you have a picture of you and Menachem Begin? And he said to me, well, Menachem Begin and I... Very good friends. He's mm-hmm. a mentor, he's a, been a mentor of mine. Good and I'm sitting there and thinking, this, this is just unbelievable. I can't believe what I'm hearing. So I said, I just, he said, are you Jewish? I said, absolutely, I'm Jewish. He said, he called his secretary. He said, this meeting's not over. <laughs> then spent the next half an hour telling me the story of his life, about his father, um, who, uh, was part of the plot to assassinate Hitler, actually, um, and actually was called back from Africa. It was very famous. He, he said his father was never a member of the Nazi Party, which I, I'm sure was the truth, but I don't know. But he said his father was called back after the attempt to assassinate Hitler had failed, and Hitler said, "You can go and spend the last night with your family, um, at, uh, you know, and then tomorrow your life is, is over, basically." And his father committed suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said that it, I think he said that he was the one who found. His, he drove to the bottom of the driveway and shot himself, mm-hmm. and he found found his father's body. He was a, a boy; a, he was a young boy. But he said, "You know, and Begin and I come from a similar political background. We are very close, very good friends. And so, what started off as a potentially, you know, who knows where this meeting was going to go, it just turned out to be the most incredible experience." And, and uh, Rommel used to send me a Christmas card every every year, uh, even though I was Jewish. And he used to just say Rommel, one word, Rommel, across the Christmas card. Um, uh-huh. He put a car at my disposal for the full 10 days that I was at Stuttgart with a driver. And he said, just uh-huh. take this man wherever he wants to go. He told me about the Jews coming back to Stuttgart after the war. He said Stuttgart was flattened by by the Allies. And so he would... um he, he said he would personally take Jews to the parts of the city which were gone, but where they'd lived to explain to them what had happened. And, um, he was a very impressive man and it was a very positive experience from what I thought
0: was going to be something terrible.
1: How oh, absolutely amazing. We're just going
0: back to ad break. Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Only on one or one.9 high FM
1: Hello, I'm back with Cecil Bass, and, and Craig is actually telling me that uh, I'm going to have to wrap up in a minute. Craig, forget that song and just give me a little bit more time with Cecil. Cecil, I just want to know um, you told me, well, actually, I read it uh, somewhere or other about the, the uh, civic theater. And Muhammad Ali. Please tell. I, I
2: would. I, I would like everyone to hear that story. Okay. So, once we reopened the Civic Theatre, we wanted to put on. A, we wanted to be more representative of the art of, of of South Africa, in particular. So we decided to produce a show with Mbongeni and Gemma, who had um, done Serafina, become very famous for Serafina. So he had written a musical called Magic at Three AM, which was about. Um, Boxers on the gold, men working on the, on the, on the mines in, in South Africa. And their recreation for a lot of them was boxing, but they only got to do their boxing at three o'clock in the morning because they were underground and they were working shifts and whatever. Anyway, it was a story about this, this boxer. Um, and it had a boxing theme about it. And so we decided to bring Muhammad Ali and, and to South Africa for, for the opening night of this show at the Civic Theatre. Um, and that's exactly what we did. Muhammad Ali came to Johannesburg. Um, he, he attended the, the, the opening. Um, and, um, he, he already had, unfortunately, he did lost his speech. Um, the Parkinson's that had afflicted him. He, but he knew exactly what was going on. He was the most charismatic, um, wonderful human being, took a big shine to my wife. He absolutely loved We've got lots <laughs> you of fun. And, and Muhammad Ali, eh? Yeah. <laughs> and um, he was amazing. Um, he could still play the piano um, with those giant hands. He used to sit and play the piano. Um, and it was also a collaboration with the Muslim community in Johannesburg who we worked very closely with in bringing him out. Muhammad Ali was uh, a convert to Islam. And uh, we worked very closely with the uh, Johannesburg Muslim community. He did a lot of uh, good work with with them in terms of fundraising and and welfare and and you know outreach kind of work. So it was an incredible, unique experience, um, and uh, I just loved it. It was you know, I was you very sad. I, I see Leon Spinks died. Leon Spinks beat Muhammad Ali. Um, he took his world title off him uh, uh and uh Leon spring died yesterday i think um, oh,
1: that's yeah.
2: so yeah but um, my, my know, you've, was, had,
1: you've had was. very fascinating uh, encounters you really have Cecil I know that you you left this country uh in many ways because of a tragedy within the the family and um But I think your going was definitely our loss. We could certainly do with you now. I would love you to be sorting out our potholes and (laughs) our electricity and cutting, making sure that all the parks, the grasses cut and everything. But I'm not going to complain about that. You know, Viktor Frankl said between stimulus and response, there is a space. And within that space lies our freedom. And it's our freedom to choose our attitude. I haven't given you the full quote, but that—that that is what it is. And I do believe that that's exactly what you have done in your life. You have looked for those spaces. And between the stimulus and the response, you have chosen that space. And you have worked with that space. So.
2: Thank you. That's very kind of you. Yeah, i um, you know I've had a, I have had a very interesting life. I must say that uh, Australia has been wonderful to us our family is, is has really thrived and prospered here and i'm I think I've been very lucky to have that opportunity in my life as well um, and I really just think you know it's not how you start it's how you finish um, and um, I just feel that when I look back I'll be 70 in a few years' time, and I look back, I actually think that overall my life's been pretty good, even in spite of the the, the occasional setback or drama. If you look at it over a, a long period, it's, it's been a good life, and uh, I, I, I hope it will continue to be a good life for, for many years to come. So, yeah.
1: Please, God. And I think what you started, you started by saying part of your purpose and your meaning in life What is your family, friends, your connections? And so I think that is very much part of who you are. I mean, just in the few times I've spoken to you yesterday and today, it's come across very clearly that those relationships are so important to your life, the people you've met, people who share your life with you. Thank you so much for being with me, Cecil. I've really enjoyed this. Craig is saying I must wrap up. And so thank you, Craig, for keeping us on air. I will speak to you uh, shortly, Cecil. Thank you again. Bye. Thank you very much. It's
0: been great. Hi fm your station of choice since 2008.